really catch that? And I'm like, no. Okay, so let's, let's talk about God now. All right. <laughs> Here's my job today. I want to actually bring clarity where I think a lot of us and a lot of followers of Jesus might have confusion. So that is my mission today. And I bet there's some people in here today, if you're really honest with me and yourself, if you think about your relationship with Jesus, you might say this, you might go, following Jesus is actually really difficult. Like even following Jesus, I thought it would be better than this. I thought that I would have like more peace in my life. I thought I'd have more joy in my life. Like I thought my prayers, when I prayed them, that God would answer them and there'd be power in my prayer. Maybe you feel like that today. There may be a reason you have felt this way or are feeling this way today. It might be that you are missing a crucial element to your faith and walk with God. So today what we're going to do is we're going to focus on something that is kind of overlooked a lot of times in our spiritual journey with Jesus, and that is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, another pastor called him the forgotten God. And I want to bring clarity on who the Holy Spirit is, because here's what the Holy Spirit will do. He is the key to unlocking genuine joy in your life to navigating life's difficult circumstances. He's the key to finding peace. He's the key to deepening your relationship with God. So over the last uh, few months, we've been in this series in the book of John. And this week, we're going to be studying John 16. Yet over the last three weeks, we've been kind of in what we've been calling the final words, which is the last week of Jesus's life. And over the last three weeks throughout the chapters, Jesus has actually been dropping little hints and little information about who this Holy Spirit would be that he would leave with us. And so today we're just going to study through who the Holy Spirit is. And I want to give you a clear picture of who he is. So I just today want to address kind of three major questions. It is, who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do and how do we experience him? So that first question, who is the Holy Spirit? Jesus in John 14, he says this, and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. In this passage, I think it's just so awesome. You get to see Jesus talk about the father sending the Holy Spirit. This is the picture of what we call as followers of Jesus, the Trinity. And so right here, we see three persons in one that we have God, the father, we have God, the son, and we have God, the spirit. Each are distinct in personhood, yet all united as one God. In this passage also, we see that the Holy Spirit is referred to not as an it, but it's actually a personal being. It's a he. It goes, he is referred as the Holy Spirit. He has a personhood. He has a divine nature. And lastly, the passage also says that he lives in you and me. The Holy Spirit indwells every follower of Jesus who surrendered their life to him. 
While all believers possess the Holy Spirit, not everyone fully submits to his guidance. It is possible as a follower of Jesus to resist the Holy Spirit's direction on your life and act contrary to what his leadings and promptings are. We should also not perceive it, the Holy Spirit as this force that we are to will for personal gain. It's not a genie in the bottle. I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about the Holy Spirit. He says this, the Holy Spirit is not a power that we are to get a hold of and use. He uses us. The Holy Spirit uses us. So this is the Holy Spirit. He is personal, part of the Trinity. He lives in you and his power is to accomplish the will of God. So as we get into John 16 today, I want to answer this question. I want to answer, now what does the Holy Spirit do? In John 16, Jesus says this. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. There's kind of three major parts to this verse. It says that it's better that the Holy Spirit comes and Jesus goes. Secondly, that the Holy Spirit is our helper. And lastly, that he brings conviction in our lives. So that first part, it says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. When I read that, I go, are you sure, Jesus? Like, it's better that you leave earth and the Holy Spirit comes. Like, I actually like, kind of didn't buy into that. Like, think about it for a second. Like, what if Jesus was with you right now? He's with you at the Super Bowl party at 4.30. My favorite dish at the Super Bowl party is queso, the Velveeta, you know, that one, the one that's terrible for you. That's not even cheese. Uh, it's, it's amazing. I always get two helpings because I know it will run out. It always runs out. Second quarter, always gone. Jesus is with me, next to me. I go, Jesus, the queso's out. Boom, queso runneth over. Miracle right there. It happens, we have queso. I mean, imagine Jesus is with you. Your dog dies. Jesus goes, puts his hand on it, resurrects the dog back to life. Your cat dies. Jesus helps you dig the hole. No offense to all you cat owners out there, sorry. It's just low-hanging fruit. But imagine that. Seriously, imagine. Jesus is with you. Your marriage is in trouble. He's the greatest counselor. He can help you walk through it. Your dad has cancer. He heals your dad. Is it really better that Jesus is gone? Jesus believes so. Because the Holy Spirit has all the power of Jesus. We have to realize it's the same power. It's the same God. And why it is better for Jesus to be gone, Jesus had an impact on people one-on-one -on -one or close to his vicinity. The Holy Spirit, he lives in every follower of Jesus. And so millions, if not billions of followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in them. And so Jesus' impact is worldwide. It is global impact we can take Jesus wherever we go. That same power that was in Jesus now lives in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. What I also find so interesting is it's better to have the Spirit because this, Jesus actually needed the Holy Spirit. Jesus needed the Spirit. 
Don't, don't miss it. So Jesus is fully God, yet he is also fully human. And when people think of Jesus, we're like, oh, we should follow Jesus. We should live like Jesus. Most people kind of write it off and be like, I, I mean, Jesus was God. I can't, I'm not God. I can't do what Jesus did. But listen to what Philippians says about what Jesus did when he came to earth. It says this, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Here's what's crazy. Jesus gave up the power of being God while still being God. He was tempted, he was tried, he struggled like all of us. And think about his life. In all of Jesus's life before he was 30 years old, he never healed anyone. He never casted out a demon. He didn't teach in public except once. And when he taught in public once, no one actually followed him. They listened to him, but they did not follow him. But something happened at 30 years old that gave Jesus power as he stepped into ministry. What was it? Matthew 3 says this. As soon as Jesus was baptized... He went out of the water and at that moment, heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting on him. It was only after the Holy Spirit came on Jesus at his baptism that he began to have the power. Jesus had to rely on the Holy Spirit just as you and I have to rely on him. He had the power now to win spiritual battles to preach the good news and power in his preaching, to wisdom on how to choose and make disciples, the ability to do miracles. This was all given once the Holy Spirit came into him. This is why it is better for us that he comes. Jesus needed the helper and so do we. So it goes on to say in our verse, it says, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. The Holy Spirit throughout John and throughout the Gospels, he's referred to as the helper. Some translations call it the advocate. Some say the intercessor. Some say the great counselor. But he is our helper. And this word helper in the Greek is parakletos. Para meaning alongside kletos to come. Uh, it's like in English language, we have uh, we use the prefix para a lot. So paragraph, graphe is writings. So it's like, uh, writings alongside one another, paragraph. What parakletos means is he's going to come alongside of you in every part of your life. This is the Holy Spirit to help you, to be there, to empower, to encourage, to equip, to enable you to live the life that God has for you. Jesus needed the helper. We need the helper. We need his spirit in us. Uh, a couple months ago, I just felt a little like tired, defeated. Um, I was actually sick for like three months straight. I felt like October through December and, uh, in my family, just another one of my family members was just dealing with some like chronic sickness. And it was really frustrating me because I, I was asking God, I'm like, Hey, like I work for you. Can you hear my prayers and like make us feel better or something? You know? And I just, I just was super defeated. I'm like, God, I don't know what you're doing. I, I, I was frustrated. I was overwhelmed. And I remember early January, I, I just had this moment where it was like, I got to a place of complete desperation where I could do nothing in my own power. 
And I just remember going, God, I need you. Spirit, I need your help because I can't do this. I need you to come alongside of me. And over that next week, it was as if God just filled me with a joy and a love and a peace that I could not explain fully to you. I mean, a week after that, I came to speak here uh, three weeks ago, and I was in my truck, and I'm I'm not like a by myself crier. I'm only a crier like with emotional movies, like uh, things like that. But by myself, I don't cry. I was just weeping with joy as I felt the presence of God flood my life. Unlike any other experience I'd ever had before. I know that's an extreme statement, but it felt like the spirit gave me a wind and energy and his presence of love on my life. I needed the helper to fill me up. You need the helper. You need his presence. You need his power. You cannot do this on your own. You cannot do this out of your flesh. You need the spirit of God, the advocate present in your life. So it is better that Jesus leaves, the helper comes. And lastly in that verse, it says that he is to bring conviction. He's bring conviction. Okay, so in my opinion, one of the greatest athletes of Denver history of all sports is Peyton Manning. Because he does not look athletic and doesn't really come across athletic. I mean, look at that neck. That's super long. Have you ever seen Peyton run a bootleg? I mean, it's like a 37 seconds to get out around there. But why does Peyton Manning, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, it's because he was super disciplined. It's because he had the ability to go practice and really his secret was in film study. I love Peyton so much. Like when, when I think of a court, the quarterback position really is the position in football that it's more about football IQ and discipline and practice and reading defenses compared to just sheer athleticism. And so, you know, Peyton would spend most of his time, he was so convinced that if he could read a defense, if he could learn the defense, he would be successful. 80% of actually a football play of a quarterback is made pre-snap. It's reading the defense and knowing who's going to be open. That's why Peyton was amazing. Being shotgun and what would he yell? Omaha, Omaha. Dear Lord, we pray that you'd bring us a quarterback next. Uh, anyway, so... What I love about Peyton is, again, he was, had this conviction because he was convinced. If he would spend 20-plus hours more than anyone else a week in the film room, he could be successful. That's how much he spent. I love this picture from a few years ago where he was rehabbing an ankle and, like, listening to plays and reading, reading the playbook. Like, he was convinced, and it drove a conviction in his life. Here's what I want you to see today. When you are convinced of something, you have a deep conviction that drives your life. When you believe something is true, you have a conviction that drives your life. And this concept of conviction is crucial to our understanding of the Holy Spirit. He wants to convince us of the truth of following Jesus, and he wants to bring conviction into our lives. This is what he says right here. It says in, in verse eight, it says, but if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. A lot of people, when they read that word convict, 
the first thing that comes to your head is like a judicial crime that had happened. Like you're a convict and it's in the negative sense. And really in this passage, it is not a conviction like you're terrible person and I'm going to convict you of a crime and you need to feel guilty and you need to go to prison. There are other places in the Bible that that word convict can go to that towards eternal uh, punishment. Yet in this situation, it's actually meant to convince that the Holy Spirit's job is to convince you of your need for salvation and the desire to follow Jesus. The Holy Spirit's job is to convince the world so that you live with a conviction, to convince you of the truth so that you live with a conviction. I see this in my kids. I'm, if I know what is right for them, I don't just like try to be like, oh, just do what you want. No, I try to convince them. I'm like, oh, you should do this. You should do this. But I'm not convicting them in a, such a way that like, you should feel guilty. You're part, this is like criminal if you don't do this. No, I'm trying to just convince and lovingly show them the right path. So this is the Spirit's job to convince the world. So our last question is this. How do you experience the Holy Spirit? You experience him by living out of his conviction. He convinces you of the truth and you start living out those convictions through his power in your life and you can experience him. And you start living in conviction. Jesus goes on to share three areas that the Spirit brings conviction. And those are uh, up on the screen. It's sin, it's righteousness, and it's judgment. Here's what I want to do real quick is for the rest of our time. I want to unpack two of the three of these. So I want to unpack sin and righteousness. The last one is judgment. And what judgment has to do with is really like our ability to fight Satan. Pretty cool stuff. I wish I could talk about it more. Uh, we don't have time today, but what we're going to do is, as a church, I just feel a sense that we want to equip you just in the area of spiritual conflict, spiritual warfare, when Satan comes against you. And also, like, what is your particular gifting? Because the Holy Spirit actually gives gifting, and that's what this judgment is talking about. We each have a particular gift from the Holy Spirit. So in May and June, we're actually going to be doing a series after we're done with John on giftings. We're also going to be talking about healing, miracles, and your particular spiritual gifts. So buckle up for that, but we're not hitting it today. Uh, We're going to hit sin and we're going to hit righteousness. So you experience the Holy Spirit when you start living with a conviction of sin. So people, we naturally, we trust ourselves, not God. We want to make up our rules. We want to make up what is right and wrong. Sin, though, reveals what is true and what is false. The Spirit will reveal the truth of God to you through conviction of sin. And sin is anything that goes against God and His Word. The verse goes on to say, in verse 8, it says, When He comes, He will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. He's going to show that the world's way is not the way of God. That is the Spirit's job is to prove, hey, you're not right about sin. And when it comes to sin, because people do not believe in me. So John 69, it's about sin. People do not believe in me. The Holy Spirit's role is to reveal our need for salvation through conviction of sin. So we must believe sin is real. There is right and wrong from God. 
that Jesus came to earth to die for our sin, that Jesus resurrected from the grave, that Jesus is God and he deserves all our praise. He is our Lord and he deserves our lordship. Now, everything that Jesus said, we have to follow, we have to act upon. The Holy Spirit wants you to live out of this conviction. This is how you experience him. So our first step, we must see our sin. And if we don't see our sin, we don't see our need for a savior. The Holy Spirit's role is to bring conviction of sin. So question for you, are you convinced that Jesus is Lord? Are you convinced? And if so, does that conviction drive your life? Does it drive everything you do? Because if you are convinced, it should drive everything you do. I want to show you guys something kind of cool. It's a little Bible nerdy, so bear with me for like three minutes. You can see throughout the Bible, God is always trying to convict or bring conviction to people in their sin. And so uh, in when Moses uh, went up to Mount Sinai, it's where he went up and got these tablets from God that were called the 10 commandments. And the 10 commandments were to be used to convict people of their sin to go, this is right. This is wrong. And when what's very interesting is when God gave what is called the law, the 10 commandments, the Israelites were 50 days after the Passover when that happened. So 50 days, Passover had happened, 50 days went by, and then Moses got the tablets off the mountain, Mount Sinai, and got the law given to him. Okay, hold that for a second. Fast forward to the New Testament. The Holy Spirit is given on a day in Acts 2 called Pentecost. Uh, Penta means uh, five, Costa means to the 10th power, meaning it's 50 days. So actually when Pentecost came, it was 50 days after Passover was celebrated. So when the spirit that gives life came to the church, the Holy Spirit came to us, it was 50 days after Passover. You see the connection. There's a great connection between the giving of the law of the 10 commandments and the giving of the spirit. Okay, stay with me right here. What happens when the Moses gets the law? That day when Moses got the law, there was a loud noise. A cloud descended and fire came from heaven and God wrote his law in stone. And then Moses went down and people were disobedient towards God. And actually that day, 3,000 people died. Fast forward to when the spirit comes. Spirit, the same thing happened. A loud noise happened at Pentecost. A clouds descended. Fire came like tongues of fire on the people and not people died that day. The Holy Spirit brought life. 3,000 were saved that day and baptized. What God is showing us here is one, a correlation between the Old and New Testament, but the law brings death, the spirit brings life. The Holy Spirit wants to bring power into your life. He wants to give you conviction of sin that brings freedom to your life. Most of my Christian life, when I viewed the Holy Spirit, I just kind of believed he was trying to convict me and I was going back to that judicial definition. That I was a criminal and he saw bad in me 
and he was bringing shame on my life. I was guilty. I saw it as the law. This thinking, though, always leads to shame and a lack of freedom and when you sin. Yet, the Bible clearly says, Jesus teaches us, that once you are his disciple, he calls you his own, and you are no longer guilty of your sin, but Jesus has cleansed you of your sin. Yet so many times when we're convicted of sin, we go to shame and we go to hiding. You can't be changed when you're in shame and hiding. The Holy Spirit wants to convince you there's a better way that following Jesus is a better life. It brings freedom and power so that you can live it out. This is why Paul said this about the spirit of God. It says, now the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, what? There's freedom. The Holy Spirit should bring freedom to our life. He wants to lovingly convince you and convict you to set you free. Have you ever just in your soul felt like convinced that something is wrong or that you're doing something wrong and then you go back and you do it again and you feel this like, I should not do that. That's the Holy Spirit bringing a conviction in your life going, that's not what's best for your life. But if you keep going against his promptings, you're actually kind of creating a prison for yourself. It's not freedom. It's actually the life that you know you don't want, but you keep going to. And he is going to lovingly try to convince you, don't go back to that life. Don't go back to that life. Don't go back to that life. And if you are living in any shame right now in your life, God might be trying just to open your eyes to his plan, to his purpose, to his way of life, that he wants to set you free. See, you experience the Holy Spirit when you live out of this power and you live in freedom that is given from him. We experience the Holy Spirit whenever we are set free from sin. Jesus goes on to say, so we're, we have this conviction that comes from sin. The other way you experience the Holy Spirit is when you start living with a conviction of righteousness. Uh, this it goes in verse 6, 10, it says, this is the next one, it's righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. What righteousness means, it's just the right way, the, the righteousness of God, like his path that he has. And the disciples, they have been following Jesus, like walking with him and they're confused, like what are we gonna do now? Who are we gonna follow? And what Jesus is saying is, I'm leaving, now you will follow and your guide will be the Holy Spirit. He will lead you. A conviction of righteousness is really a conviction to follow the Spirit's leadings and promptings, to allowing him to guide your life. That's why Jesus goes on to say in verse 12, he goes, I have much more to say to you. He goes, more than you can now bear. He's like, I can't give you everything I want to say. So he goes, but when he, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. He will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it, it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Have you ever asked yourself, like, how do you live the life God wants, wants you to live? Or what path to go down? Or how am I supposed to live? Or where am I supposed to go? This is the helper's job. 
It's to bring a conviction in your daily life on how you are to live out following Jesus and the path you are to walk. You need his guidance. The early disciples in this moment, they needed the Holy Spirit to guide their path, to show them what to do, where to go, who to talk to. We need his guidance. Jesus says also in John 14, 26, this is the Spirit's job in your life as you're looking for guidance. It says this, the helper, the Holy Spirit, who then the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Have you ever been walking in life and all of a sudden something like from God just pops into your head that's maybe from the Bible or a message you heard and you're like, where did that come from? But it's at the exact moment That's the Holy Spirit trying to guide your path. And if you want your path to be guided more, one of the keys in life is to know what the word of God says. If he goes, I will bring to remembrance what I've said to you. And what he said to you comes from the word of God. And so as we continue to saturate our lives with God's word, this is why I wanna encourage every single person. If you're not reading the Bible every day, even just a little bit, the spirit has nothing to work with. Like he wants to guide you. He wants to push you. You ever read a verse one day and you're like, how did he know? Like, how did that come up right now? The spirit is at work in your life. But here is what typically happens. Why we do not get conviction of sin and why we do not walk in righteousness. Typically we don't make space for him. We don't even think he's there. We don't know who he is. We don't know what he does. And we don't make any space. But if you just take some space and you ask the spirit who lives inside of you, he's not far away in the clouds, but he is inside of you to bring conviction in your life, to convince you in your life, there is great power. If you know him, if you know what he does, if you know how to experience him, I promise you, there's gonna be more power in your prayers. There's gonna be more joy in your life. There's going to be more peace. There is going to be this overflowing of him that is coming out of you. You can experience him. You can know him. You can have a relationship with him. So what do we do with all this? Here's what Jesus actually tells us to do in Luke 11. It says this, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If you want him, you need to ask for him and he will come and he will come. What might this look like in your life and the life of our church? I believe when the Holy Spirit's presence comes in your life, it, it, the major attribute that he brings is what? It's love. It's not chaos. It's actually love. That's who the Holy Spirit is, is that he brings the fragrance of love into everything you do. This has been my prayer for our church in 2024, is that the spirit of God would come into each of our lives, that you would experience the presence of God the overflowing presence of his joy in your life individually. And my prayer for our church is that we, that the spirit would fall on us, that we cannot have any power on our own, but it's gotta be his spirit. 
There's a church in London called Holy Trinity Brompton. And one of my heroes of the faith, his name's Nicky Gumbel, started this church. And uh, I've never got to go visit their church. But all my friends that visit, they're like, you gotta go, you gotta go, you gotta go. It's like when you walk in, you can just feel the presence of God, like it hits you in the face. And I'm like, how's it feel? And they go, it's not like what you think it would be. It's not like chaos. It's not like people just jumping and yelling. It's actually the presence of love fills the place. So my prayer for our church in 2024 is that the presence of the spirit of love, like when people walk through those doors for the first time, they would feel God's love. Like it would be an overwhelming presence of God. They go, I don't know if I believe any of this true, but I know that feeling is true. And then I pray the same thing in your life that you would experience his love, his goodness, his peace. How much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Let's just take a moment and let's just ask for him to come in our lives and our church. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. We invite you here. At times we have forgotten your even existence and that you live in us. So we ask you to come. We ask you to give us peace, to give us joy, to give us love, to give us patience, to give us all the fruits of the spirit. We cannot do that in our own power. But we can ask. We ask you convict us of anything you have in our lives not for shame but for freedom and God if there's anyone in here right now that just has never trusted you as Savior as Lord would you convince them that Jesus is real that Jesus died that he resurrected again and that he brings eternal life and that all that would just confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that you, our Lord, would be saved. So God, we we pray that you'd bring salvation in the room. We pray you bring your presence in this room and we pray you bring your love.